0: A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus came out of the temple with his disciples, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another, all And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. A great saint once said that a soul untried by sorrow is good for nothing. Man, I really freaking hate that quote. <laughs> I really hate that quote, not because I believe it's false, but because it's always so much truer truer than I ever want it to be. That saint was right. The soul that has never had to endure pain, The soul that hasn't really allowed itself to feel pain, but instead tries to avoid it at all costs, really knows very little, really matures very little, really is pretty much good for nothing. After I became a Christian as a teenager, I started attending a Baptist youth group in my hometown. And by the time I was 17, I had pretty much evolved into, like, super super Baptist status. For I had read the Bible cover to cover within the course of a year. Not just once, but twice. Yes. <laughs> Now, before people become overly impressed with that, just know that most Baptists that I know, they take that whole read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest thing from our collect this morning. They take that pretty literally, right? Uh, so reading the Bible, like a lot, is just something that Baptists do. Well, something that good Baptists do, <laughs> But also, like it wasn't just me kind of getting into the culture. I was also just really eager to get as close to God as possible, to learn as much about the divine as I possibly could. So if I can just read like a crapload of the Bible to do that, that's what I was going to do. But all of my newfound Bible knowledge put me in a really awkward place one evening. Because one night at youth group, the youth minister asked all of us to name our favorite Bible. Verses, Like, pick one. And he called these favorite verses life verses, meaning that they were inspiring scriptural passages that all pious teenagers could shape their lives by and live by. Thus, life verses. And all, as all the various youths across the room began to spout off their favorite inspiring Bible quotes, they pretty much named off like a lot of the ones that you would expect. Like the Bible's greatest hits, if you will. <laughs> Passages like John 3.16. You can't leave that one out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And everybody amen. that one. Or how about Romans 8? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor present things, nor future things, nor depth, nor height, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. (laughs) A few kids even named off John 11.35. And if you are uh, someone who knows what John 11.35 is off the top of your head, (laughs) you fall into the culture, I think, of one of these kids that named off this verse. Do you know what John 11.35 is? Of course you do. Jesus wept. While these kids tried to convince everyone in the room that this was their favorite passage, their favorite verse, because it highlights Jesus's empathy, divine empathy. Yeah, we all knew that to be BS. (laughs) The only reason they picked that verse was because it was the shortest in the Bible and thus the easiest to memorize. Well, about two minutes into this whole exercise, I started to feel pretty self-conscious about the verse that I had selected, my life verse. Let's just say that it came from a uh, different place, (laughs) a darker place, that it struck a much different tone than the ones that were being named in the room. So I stayed quiet, hoping that no one would notice that I hadn't said a thing. The plan was working just fine until a kid named named Clayton Stockard raised his hand and told the youth minister that I hadn't had a chance to go yet. How pious of you, Clayton. Always looking out for the least of these in the room, I see, you jerk. (laughs) Clayton grew up to be a charming and wonderful human being. We were friends back in school, uh... But when he was a teenager, he was like the Claytoniest of all of the Claytons you could ever know. <laughs> so thanks to Clayton, everyone in the room was now looking at me, eagerly awaiting my happy clappy for Jesus Life Verse. And my silence it had backfired because it only had built up the suspense. <laughs> you know, I being quiet for so long, people were really curious about what I had to say. It had to be something remarkably deep, right, and moving. Well, would you like to know? You want to try to guess, actually, what my life verse was at that time, what I told them. Proverbs twenty thirty. Do you know how it goes? Of course you don't. You didn't learn about that one in Sunday school or church camp. Proverbs twenty thirty. A reading from Proverbs. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil beatings purge the inmost being. The word of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Once I quoted that from memory, nobody amended that one, my friends. <laughs> but in all seriousness, for the person who has never suffered, who incessantly tries to avoid pain, This verse probably sounds pretty screwed up. Even sadistic, right? But for the person who has a master's degree from the School of Suffering, who has learned how to turn suffering to their own advantage, they get it. Whenever life beats us down, it tends to sober us to the good. And suffering has a way of bringing out the true self in ways that times of peace never can. We hate to admit this to be true, but we know deep down it's true. In other words, in seasons of suffering, you learn who you truly are and what you are truly made of, and you learn just how much you can take and survive. Many people try to use their faith to avoid suffering praying that God would magically take all of life's agonies and difficulties away. But this is a mistake. It's foolishness. For the blows and wounds of life cleanse away evil. And the way that life beats us down, it has a way of purifying the inmost being. But the person who truly has grown close to Jesus who truly has intuited his way in their souls, who truly knows what it means to follow him. They're like him. They don't try to avoid the cross. They understand that the only way to resurrection is through the cross, not around it. That resurrection is about the overcoming of death, not the avoiding of it. And the only way to overcome is to endure. Back when I was still in high school, in my teenage uh, Bible geek days, another youth minister, he liked to tell a story a lot during my time in this youth ministry setting. A horrendous story. I'm not sure I've ever fully forgiven him for this one, to be honest with you. But he thought it was really moving. He talked. It was a story about the power of faith, or actually the lack thereof for him. But he thought it was a moving, inspiring, kind of prodding story but I actually think it's one of the most messed up things I've ever heard. In this story, he talked about how a wonderful Christian woman had become terminally ill with cancer. And after the doctors realized that there really wasn't anything else that they could do for her, her church and many members of her community decided to come together to pray for her, to pray a prayer of healing over her. So ministers and church people and even non-church people rallied around her one evening and prayed fervently that she would be healed. And do you know what happened? This youth, youth minister would ask us. She still died. And he would leave a long, punctuated pause after those words, letting us teenagers, yeah, process the story that he had just shared with us. And I always expected him to say something like, she still died, but it's okay. Sometimes that's just how things play out. There are worse things than death. And even though death is a scary thing and a mystery, we know that Christ has overcome it by what he did on the cross and what he did on Easter morning but that was never his takeaway point. Instead, he would always break the silence with these words. She died because all those people praying over her didn't have enough faith. My friends, there are not enough cuss words in the English language that could adequately sum up my feelings about that horrendous teaching And even though I am more mature now, so I think, every time somebody dies, a part of me still wonders if they died because of me, because of my lack of faith. And I hate this. Because intellectually, I know that faith is not about wishing that someone wouldn't die. I mean, of course it's great. You want to wish the best for everybody around you. But that's not what faith is about. Faith is actually about trusting that everything will still be okay for them and for you, even if they die. The kids who loved that Romans 8 verse passage, they had it right. Neither life nor death can separate us from the love of God. Faith is about trusting in that. In our gospel reading for this morning, Jesus is walking with his disciples through the streets of Jerusalem. As they're circling the temple, this grand temple, these once small-town simple fishermen marvel over the magnificence of the whole structure. "'What large stones,' they said. "'What large buildings!' what was Jesus' response? Allow me to paraphrase it for you. You see this wonderful, profoundly beautiful temple, this centerpiece of our Hebrew faith, this centerpiece of our national identity, this sign of God's presence to our people. <clears throat> yeah, some really bad shit's going to happen to it. <laughs> In a few decades, this magnificent place will be reduced to rubble. And these quiet city streets that we have just walked down, they will become a bloody war zone. And the Roman soldiers who descend on this place will destroy the city's food supply. And those who aren't killed in battle will starve to death. And the catapults that pummel the city walls will make it feel like the entire earth is quaking. Not one stone shall be stacked upon another by the end of it all. In other words, calamity is coming, and no amount of prayer or piety will counteract it. And in this passage, Jesus issued no call to prayer. There was no tent revival, no altar call, no holy unction, nothing of that sort. He didn't say, hey, let's gather all of the pious religious people together to pray and to beg that God would spare this place, that God would spare our way of life, that God would spare our nation, that God would spare all of the sacred rituals and holy traditions that radiate from this place. No, he never once said, take heart, have enough faith, and Jerusalem will not fall. And all of these stones will still remain stacked on top of each other did he say? He said, if you have faith, learn what it means to let this place go. Learn what it means to let everything go. And elsewhere he urged everyone to run to the hills and surrounding countryside before it was too late, before all of this calamity fell upon Jerusalem. For it wasn't faith that motivated people to stay and to fight for Jerusalem, but it was pride It was the inability to come to terms, come to grips with reality, as it truly was. Faith is about seeing reality as it is, not about how you want it to be. Jesus' teaching in this passage is perhaps the most profound thing, in my opinion, that he's ever said. It's probably also the hardest thing for us to grasp and much, you know, accept. For he teaches us that true faith is not about asking God to preserve our traditions or our customs or our ways of life or our sense of home or our our national, national security or even those things that help us to establish our identities as individuals and communities. In other words, faith is not about holding on. It's about letting go. Faith is about sobering up to the fact that you can't change the world as much as you want to. But that's okay. Because faith is about coming to grips with the fact that even when your whole world comes unraveled, becomes a raging (coughs) dumpster fire, it's all going to be okay. Why? Because in the midst of all of the change and chaos, one thing remains constant. God's loving presence. At the end of Jesus's teaching here, he says something that's a bit surprising. He says that all of this suffering, all of this calamity, all of this chaos, all of this heartache, it's all a sign that something new is about to be birthed into the world. And he calls these things birth pangs. Now, I don't know what it's like to experience birth pangs, nor the pain of bringing a child into this world, but I hear that it really, really, really sucks. (laughs) Big time, right? But there is something that I've noticed uh, whenever my spouse brought both of our wonderful children into this world. I noticed that after hours and hours and hours of intense suffering... And the very worst physical pain that she had ever experienced. All of that pain, it just seemed to fade into the background in the moment, in the very second that she was able to hold our children in her arms for the very first time and look at their faces for the very first time. In both of those moments, all of the suffering, it just seemed to lose its significance in the moment. All of the suffering was suddenly worth it, right? My friends, life must be lived forwards, but it's only understood backwards. We never understand the suffering as we're going through it, nor should we try to. We just can't make sense of it when we're going through it. We're still too close to it. And anyways, our call is not to understand it. Our call is to endure it. And one day, like a mother holding her newborn child, the day will come when you are finally able to see this beautiful new thing that has been birthed through all of your suffering. So again, my friends, faith is not about avoiding all the ways in which life can reduce you to rubble. No. No. Faith is about feeling the birth pangs, even as life is reducing you to rubble.